hopelessness. Um, by a show of hands, and hear me out before you raise your hand, but I want everybody to raise your hand if it's true. Has there been a time in your life where whether it's been in a financial situation, a relational situation, um, your health, um, um, a dream, a desire, a wayward child, in some area of your life, has anybody in here ever completely and totally and utterly felt hopeless, like there's absolutely no way this is ever going to happen for me. If you didn't raise your hand, then you can go ahead and leave, and we'll do, you can just, you know, if you don't need to hear the sermon, you don't need to hear it anyway, but I believe that every one of us in here, at some point or another, there's been a time, or there will be a time in our future, where God puts something inside of our heart, a dream, a desire, something that we know, we know, we know, we know God wants to do, but in the natural, there's not a single reason to continue hoping on in faith for that thing. You can't see a way out. You can't see how there's going to make a way. You have 10 people telling you it's not going to happen, and the enemy loves to bombard us with these thoughts. There's a lie that the enemy tells us whenever there's something that um, we're struggling and battling with, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a relational thing, a financial thing. The lie is this, for your notes, the lie always is this, and that is nothing's ever going to change. The enemy wants you to think that however long it's been, it's going to continue to be like that forever. It's been so, and it's interesting when it comes to hopelessness, you could be battling something for a year and feel hopeless, and you could be battling something for three days and still feel hopeless. It doesn't matter how long it's been or how short it's been, the enemy loves to tell you that nothing is ever, ever going to change. And so I like to give you an analogy for each sermon to go along with what we're talking about. The analogy for today is this. Hopelessness to me, it's like being out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and everywhere you look, there's water. You cannot see land anywhere and you're treading water, you're dog paddling just to stay alive. By instinct, you keep paddling as hard as you can, but somewhere in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to drown. There's no way out. I cannot see land anywhere. Even if I could see land, I don't have the strength to swim there. And you're out there in the middle of the ocean. No matter where you look, there's not any hope. And you feel like you should just give up and be done. And to me, that's what hopelessness is like. It's interesting, though, in Jeremiah 20 and 11, and we, we quote it every Sunday, we say God has a great plan for our life, but the second part of that scripture, the capital M represents God. He says, my plans are to bring you prosperity. That sounds good. We all like that. Success, we love that. And the future that you hope for. It's like he's tapping into our free will and saying, what is it that you're hoping for? What is it that you've been desiring lately? What is it that you want? Uh, all through the Bible, we hear that God wants to give us the desires of our heart, but it's because he puts those desires on the inside. So the question is, have you been hoping for anything positive lately? Uh, years ago, before there was technology like we have now, this submarine was coming up from the water to resurface and um, restock its oxygen tanks. It was filled with a crew of men, and they were running out of oxygen. And so when they came up out of all the places in the ocean to come up, they came up right above a ship. They hit this ship and they immediately sunk back to the bottom of the sea. Now this crew of men is trapped in the, the belly of this steel beast at the bottom of the ocean. They can't open the door because it's already underwater. Water's coming in on one side. They're losing oxygen. And so they send divers down to see if there's any way they can possibly help. And the divers go all over the submarine. They can't find a single way to help these men. They're in their trap. They know they're about to die. One diver decided to go back down again just to see if there was something that he could figure out, which there was nothing. But when he got to the bottom, he heard a tapping noise coming from inside the submarine. And he put his helmet up to the, 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 the steel of this, of this huge vessel underneath the water, filled with men about to die. And he heard Morse code. And it was four little words that came through the tapping of that steel. And it was this, 
Is there any hope? And that is actually the cry of humanity today. Is there any hope? If there's any question I've ever heard as a pastor, more than any other question, it is this question. John Paul, is there any hope for my child that's in jail? Is there any hope for me with this addiction that I face? Is there any hope for me to get my finances back in order? Is there any hope that my relationship will work out? Is there any hope that I'm going to be healed of this disease? Is there any hope? And the good news that I have for you today is as I stand before you right now, tall, skinny, and white, I can tell you this, that God is the God of all hope. We serve a God. As long as you are breathing, there's hope. The enemy loves to lie and tell you there's no hope. There's no hope. In fact, a friend of mine called me um, a few weeks ago, and her, her brother killed himself, committed suicide, and she was trying to process the whole thing out. And she said a few weeks before he did that, he emailed the family and told them, I have this awful addiction, and I just can't get rid of it. I've tried everything. I don't know what to do. And the enemy lied to him and told him, you're always going to have this addiction. You've been battling it for so long. There's no way to get around it. There's no way to overcome it. There is no hope for you. And this person believed that lie and they ended up killing themselves. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the very essence of things we hope for and the evidence of things that we cannot see. Here's what that's telling me. You can't even have any faith without first having hope. No matter how long it's been or what you've been struggling with or whatever's going on in your life, please, please, please don't ever, ever, ever give up hope. Uh, Y'all know the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was promised by God that he was going to have a a child, and they were way, 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 way too old to ever have a child. I mean, they were almost 100 years old. And the Bible says something very interesting about this story in Romans 4.18. It says, all human reason for hope being gone, Abraham hoped on in faith. In other words, uh, you say, "Um, I can't find a single human reason for me to keep on hope, and that's okay because we don't serve a human God. I can't figure out one natural reason for me to keep on hoping that's okay. We don't serve a natural God. We serve a supernatural God. You say, man, I've researched and there's no way I found any way it's going to happen. And I've done all the numbers and added up all the math. Abraham did the same thing. Abraham looked up on the internet and he, he researched and not one person his age. Abraham Googled it and found out it doesn't matter how many blue pills he takes, there is no way on God's green earth he is going to have a child at his age. But he hoped on in faith anyway. Here's what I want to tell you about this story is this. Stop wasting energy focusing on how and use your energy to focus on who. A lot of times when it comes to stinking thinking, and and please write this down if you're taking notes, it's like we spend all this energy and we write out all these scenarios and we think of all the ways um, on how it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to take place this way. When we should be spending that same time focusing on who. So let me give you some application for today. Here's the application. Stop letting your emotions control your life. Stop letting your feelings decide whether or not you're going to come to church, whether or not you're going to smile, whether or not you're going to give, whether or not you're going to be good to people. Don't base it on how you feel, base it on what you know. And Abraham, he didn't feel like he was going to have a child. He didn't feel like it was going to happen for him, but he didn't act based on how he felt. Anytime he got discouraged, remember the Bible said he would go up and look at the stars because God said as many stars as you have as your descendants. He got discouraged, he'd go look at the sand on the seashore because he said as many grains of sand as how many descendants you're going to have. You know, when the Bible talks about us um, putting on the armor of God, it talks about the helmet of salvation. There's another name for that helmet in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. It says, put on your heads a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here's what that tells me. Man, our brain, we have to to cover it. We have to protect it. Just like a football player wears a helmet because they know how how they got to protect. This is very, very important. Same thing with you. If I asked you right now, give me a hundred ways why it can't happen for you, you would be able to tell me two hundred. But if I said, tell me five ways why it can happen, you'd have a hard time 
writing out those ways. Protect your head. Protect your thought life with the hope of salvation. If you have your Bibles and you're in Mark chapter 5, I want to go over a story with you real quick. It's about the woman with the issue of blood. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. And some of y'all here today, you hadn't even battled something for 12 months. And you're already willing to throw in the towel and be done with it. 12 years she battled. 12, everybody say 12 years. You know what it's like to battle something, especially when you're bleeding for 12 years? Imagine the physical energy that you do not have from bleeding for 12 years. Mark 5, 26, it says she went to many doctors, spent all the money she had, but instead she got worse. If you have your Bibles in Mark 5, 26, write this down right next to that scripture. Write down this. Don't put your hope in people. Don't put your hope in people. If you decide to put your hope in a pastor, if you decide to put your hope in a doctor, if you decide to put your hope in a spouse, if you decide to put your hope in a parent, I can promise you, they will, we will let you down. Just like you're human and you've let people down, whether you believe you have or haven't, you have, in the same way the people that you're putting your hope in, they will let you down. It will cause you more pain and you will get worse if you put your hope into people. Nothing wrong with doctors, nothing wrong with spouse, nothing wrong with counselors, nothing wrong with teachers and parents, that kind of thing. But our hope doesn't belong in people. They will always let you down. I promise you, if I have not already offended you, I will offend you one day. Do not put your hope in me. Do not put your hope in, don't put someone on a pedestal thinking they're always going to do it. They're always going to give you what you want. They're going to help you with everything and say just the right thing. It's not like that. Don't put your hope in people. Other thing is don't put your hope in money. Nothing wrong with the stock market, 401k, saving and finding ideas. But if your hope is in the business that you work for and not in God, then what if that business closes down? You say, I don't have enough money. Well, your hope's not in money. Your hope's in God. He's the, he's the one that, that provides for you, not the business, not the boss. Don't put your hope in your boss. Because then if your boss doesn't like you one day, you're all discouraged thinking you're going to lose your job. Your hope goes in God. Don't put your hope in money. People say that I, I, I tell things I shouldn't say from the pulpit that I'm way too transparent, but it doesn't bother me at all. But a few months ago, I went to my very first casino. I was very excited. It was electrifying. My um, very bad influential friend, Mark, took me. And uh, we... We went to his grandma's funeral up in Maryland and we skipped the funeral and we went to this casino that was nearby. I'm just, we didn't skip the funeral, I'm just kidding. We went to the funeral, but after the funeral we went to this casino and man, it was so exciting. I mean, I don't know how to play any of the games at all. I can't, I didn't, I don't know how to play none of it. So I sat there and I watched and man, there's, there's lights and noise and cheering and booing all over the place and everyone is so intense because they're spending money and their hopes in this money and is their money going to get them more? And so I sat there and I just watched and learned. I, I probably spent three hours watching and learning how to play blackjack. And I'll tell you ahead of time, I spend more money with my kids at an arcade gambling on a claw machine to win a $1 toy than I spent at the casino, okay? It was for fun. But anyway, so I went and so after I learned how to play, I decided I was going to you know, play a little bit. So I got some chips and I went and played and I was up a few hundred dollars. I mean, I was up. So I was like, okay, we've had fun. It's been five or six hours. It's time to go. So as we're walking out, I think I could double this. <laughs> I could get this and I'd have more and then this would be paid for and I could do this. And then I thought, well, if I double that, then I could double the next one if I want to. And I kept going. I even said a prayer. <laughs> I even said, Lord, just bless these chips or whatever, you know, whatever. Anyway, so the last five minutes we were there, I lost everything. <laughs> but I probably spent a total of $80, I guess. $80 for six hours of fun wasn't that bad. But here's the point I want to tell you. Don't put your hope in money. 
It cannot be in money. Your hope cannot be in the economy. It cannot be in the president. You think, well, man, if the president would da-da-da-da-da, then I would have this. No, 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 no. You're focusing on the wrong thing. God is our source. Our hope should only be in the Lord. Do not put your hope in people. Do not put your hope in money. You'll always get worse. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years, but there's something very, very interesting about this story, and that is Mark 5, 27. The next scripture says, but she heard about Jesus. Now listen, I, I, want, I need you, to, I need you to, to, to help me out here. If we're going to build this church that you love so much, if we're going to build the kingdom of God, here's how you get people to Jesus. You tell them that there's hope. I know there's people in your life that seem like they have it all together. Your boss, he or she, seems like they have money and so they're okay. Your friend seems like they're healthy, so they're okay. This person seems like they're happy. I can promise you, I can promise you, I know people. I've studied people for 10 years. Nobody is perfectly happy and everybody has problems. Look at the person next to you and say, you got problems. You got problems and you got problems. Left and right, you got problems. Everybody has problems. You don't have to tell the person more than once, okay? It's like, I'm, you got problems. No, you got, no, you got, no, you got problems. Everybody needs to know that there's hope. And the way that you build the kingdom of God is not to be able to quote scripture and you have to tell this right thing. All you got to do is listen, there's hope for you. There's hope for the thing you're battling. There's hope for you coming free of that addiction. There's hope, there's hope. And thank God, if somebody had not told this woman about Jesus, we wouldn't be talking about her today. In Mark 5, 28, here's how she had the faith. She says she kept thinking to herself. She kept thinking to herself. Let's see. She kept thinking to herself, man, I feel so guilty for what I did. She kept thinking to herself, man, I can't believe these people. They're so rude to me. She kept thinking to herself, man, this stinks. I'm going to stay in my room and close the drapes, the blinds, to leave the lights off. She kept thinking to herself, I've messed up 10 times and never going to make it out. She kept thinking to herself, I'm worried. I'm scared. How am I going to get through this crowd? What's going to happen? No, no, no. She kept thinking to herself, if I could only get to Jesus... I'll be careful. Let me tell you, hope is what gets you out of bed on Sunday morning when you feel like staying at home. Hope is what puts you in the choir when you feel like somebody else should be lifting you up. Hope is what causes you to give in the offering when you need it more for yourself. Hope is what causes you to join a church and join a body and serve and step up when you feel like the whole world's coming against you. Hope is the very thing that you need to get your mind on when the whole world's flipped upside down. And in verse 29, as soon as she touched him, the bleeding stopped. Do you know she had to press through this crowd of people? The crowd in the story represents the very thing that's trying to hold you back. The crowd represents the negative people that you have in your life at work. The crowd represents the economy that's messing up your finances. The crowd represents the doctor's report that tells you it's not good. The crowd is the very the crowd represents our feelings. The crowd represents our emotions that we allow to run and rule our life. And she pressed through all of that. Because she knew that Jesus was the answer. Many people give up when they don't have their feelings cheering them on. It's really sad when you see people that throw in the towel. They're out in the middle of the ocean and they just give up and totally just drown to death. All because their feelings are not cheering for them. I told you a few weeks ago in our sermon on discouragement whenever David was at Ziglag and remember he had the men that they battled and, and, and the women and children were kidnapped and all the possessions were stolen and he comes back and now his wife's gone, his children are gone, his friends want to stone him, his whole city's burned to the ground. There's an account of this in the book of Psalms and David did something seven times to get him out of that rut. Seven times it says in Psalms 42.5 he actually spoke to himself. His soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. I think, I want, I feel. And he talked to himself. He said, listen, mind, why are you cast down? 
Why are you discouraged? What's your hope in? Is your hope in your army? Is your hope in your spouse? Is your hope in the money that got stolen from you? Where's your hope? Put your hope in God. I can imagine David, if he was anything like me, I don't know if they had mirrors back then, but he probably found like a puddle of water where he could see his reflection. He was like, you doggone dirty, good looking thing. Let me tell you something. Stop letting your hope be in things other than God. He probably, you know how like football players, they like to spank each other's butts or something. David probably spanked himself. He's like, come on, David. Come on. Some of y'all need to spank yourself. <laughs> that's your notes. Write it down. Spank myself. You say, come on. That's why, that's why I don't play football because I don't want people spanking me. But anyway, and so there's other reasons I don't play football, but that's one of them. Anyway, so here's the thing. He said, why are you cast down? Why, what's, what's going on, man? Why? Why are you so discouraged? Don't you know your hope should be in God? And after he did that seven times, seven times, they probably thought he had schizophrenia or something. Seven times he was like, come on, get up, you can do it. Here's the four words he said. We should always remember these four words anytime hopelessness drowns our thought life. And that is this. He said, we're going to pursue, we're going to overtake, and we're going to recover all. You know what David did? He pursued the enemy, he overtook them, and he recovered all. In fact, David recovered so much, not only the stuff that was stolen from him, he recovered enough to bless 12 cities in the process. There's an experiment that was done with these two lab rats. And before I tell you the whole story, I will tell you that both of the lab rats died in the experiment. So if you, that makes you sad, Trisha found a mouse the other day and she can give it to you. So these two experiments, there are these two lab rats and they were both put in buckets of water with no way to get out. And the, the water, of course, was, was higher than them. And so they, they, they began to swim and tread water. And the first rat, after one hour, it completely died. It drowned to death and gave up. The second rat, every 15 minutes, they would pull the rat up for just one second. One, and put it back down. 15 minutes later, pull it up, put it back down. 15 minutes later, pull it up and put it back down. Do you know that that second rat swam for 24 hours? Not because it had one second to pause and get rest, but the conclusion was hope keeps us alive. It was the fact that the rat thought, well, they pulled me out. Maybe they'll pull me and leave me out of the water. 15 minutes later, pull them up, put it back in. Maybe the next time will be the time. And it went on 24 times longer than the other rat that had no hope. Rat, uh, rat, I was about to say rat keeps us alive. Hope keeps us alive. I have a friend, John Ross. He doesn't live here anymore. He lives in heaven. And he passed away last year. And nine years before that, he was diagnosed with cancer. And in those nine years, he had every cancer you can think of. There was a stage 99. He had stage 99. He, he went through, I have a manual this thick of all the tests he went through and all the procedures and all the doctor's reports. The only thing that kept him alive for nine years, the only thing was hope the only thing. Listen, he was like Abraham. Not anybody in the world had been alive through what he went through. The only thing that kept him going was hope. Jeremiah 17, 7 says, blessed is the man that hopes in the Lord. He's like a tree that's planted by the water with deep roots and green leaves, always bearing fruit. He will not be fearful or anxious. It's a true story about this uh, man in the tsunami. Remember the tsunami that took place on the other side of the world many, many years ago? This guy was in his 20s, and he was in pretty good shape. And when the tsunami hit, the water took him so far out into the ocean that he could not see land anywhere he looked. He was out there in the middle of the ocean, didn't think anyone knew where he was at, and he was treading water. After about six and a half hours of treading water, he decided he was just going to give up, be done, and drown to death. He had no more strength left in him. 
Just as he was about to take his last breath, he remembered that his wallet was in his pocket. He pulled his wallet out and he pulled out a picture of his family. He looked at that picture for a few seconds, put it back in his pocket, and he was able to tread water another three and a half hours. He decided he was going to take his last breath and be done, but he pulled that picture out one more time. He looked at his family, put it back in his pocket, and he went another six hours. He was about to give up the ghost, be done. That was it. He pulled the picture out again, looked at it for a few seconds, put it back in his pocket. He went another 13 hours. This went on for almost three and a half days. He treaded water out in the middle of the ocean. He was miraculously found. They reunited him with his family. The news reporters came. They interviewed him. In an interview, he pulled out this very water-washed-down picture of his family, and he said, this is what gave me hope to stay alive. Some of y'all need something visual in front of you. You need that one particular scripture where God promised he's going to do what it is you're believing for. You need that one picture of yourself when you were healthy, when you were happy. You need that one visual aid to help you whenever times get tough because I can promise you between now and by the end of the year, you're going to go through something where you feel hopeless because the enemy loves to steal our hope. It says in Zechariah 9.12 that we should come as prisoners of hope and God will restore double our former prosperity. There's a lot of things that we can be prisoner to. We can be prisoner to negativity. We can be prisoners of anger. We can be prisoners of hurt. We can be prisoners of our past. But if we're ever going to receive double from our former prosperity that was stolen from us, God says we have to come to him as prisoners of hope. I have a friend, um, a true story, and he serves in his church, and he's very, very happy in his church, and he always is there and always has a smile on his face and that kind of thing. But for the past year or so, he has battled finances incredibly bad. I mean, everything was on credit cards, everything, and you would never know it. He always had about $25 in the bank or so, and he would smile, and he would serve, and he would give, and he would do his best. But he battled finances like you would not even imagine. It was an awful situation. His spouse had passed away sometime before. The other day, he called me up, and he was crying and laughing at the same time because he looked in his bank account, and it went from $25 one day to the very next day. It had tens of thousands of dollars. He thought for sure it was a mistake because he heard on the news that people, you know, sometimes did that and money got in the wrong places. He called, no, it wasn't a mistake. It came from the government, from something that took place years and years and years before. He forgot completely all about it. Didn't even get the letter in the mail yet. One day had $25, the next day had tens of thousands of dollars overnight. And here's why I believe it happened for him. Because even though his emotions told him to give up, even though his emotions said stay at home, even though he did not feel like coming to church, he didn't fake it, he faithed it. I like this, don't fake it, faith it. Joyce Meyer says, faith it until you make it. The application for today's sermon is you got to stop letting your emotions run your life. Even though you don't feel like singing in the choir, you do it anyway because your hope's in God. Even though you don't feel like giving it 100% at work because your boss doesn't treat you right, you do it anyway because your hope is in God. He's your source. See, when, if someone doesn't like you, it doesn't matter because God's your source. You do your best to honor God whether you feel like it or not, and then God will come in and do his part. You know that my friend could have given up. My friend could have given up a month ago, two months ago, six months ago, but he didn't. Every Sunday was in church, every Sunday given, kept going for it, and then you never would, if you had taught him, you would have never known that he was incredibly stressed out by finances, but he never once allowed his emotions to keep him down. Never allowed his emotions to cause him to give up hope. It says in um, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold firmly to the hope we profess because we can trust God to keep his 
promise. Last story I want to tell you is about this woman named Pam. Back in the 80s, she was a missionary over in the Philippines. And she loved God, loved spreading the gospel. And uh, at one point, she called a disease called amoebic dysentery. And it put her in a coma. And while she was in the coma, the doctors there, they shoved every antibiotic in the world into her. I mean, they tried to keep her alive. And they discovered as they were shoving all this medicine into her that she was actually pregnant. And so she finally came out of the coma and they told her, they said, Pam, um, in order to save your life, you're going to have to abort the baby that's inside of you. And she looked very sternly into the doctor's eyes and she said, no, I have all hope that everything is going to be okay. About a month later, she was still in her first trimester. Once again, she went into a coma almost lost the baby. She woke up. The doctor said, you have to abort the child. Once again, she said, nope, I have all hope it's going to be okay. This happened a third time. It happened a fourth time. Each time it was more and more severe. More and more doctors came in to tell her, if you're going to save your life, you're going to have, we don't even know if the baby's going to be healthy. Just give it up, be done. The baby in the story represents the dream, the promise, the desire, the thing you've been believing for, asking God for, and, he, and the doctors, people will tell you to abort. People will tell you to let it go. She refused to do that. On um, August the 14th, 1987, she was going into labor. And the doctor said it didn't look good. It looked like the child was either going to die in the process or be brain dead or things were going to happen. And so she said a prayer. She said, Lord, if you will give me this child, I promise I will train him to be a preacher for you for the rest of his life. Sure enough, she gave birth later on that day to a very healthy boy. She named him Timothy. Timothy out of the Bible was a preacher. And Timothy, sure enough, he grew up to preach. He preaches in hospitals. He preaches in prisons. He preaches in schools. And he plays football as well. Timothy Tebow also became the first sophomore in history to win the Heisman Trophy. Now his mother Pam goes all over the world telling people how hope saved her dream. Psalms 31, 24 says, put away fear. Don't give up all you who hope in the Lord. Um, since the time you've been born, you can probably agree with me that the only thing that has been constant in your life is God. Therefore, the only thing that we should put our hope in is the Lord. No matter how long it's been, no matter how difficult it's been, don't ever, ever, ever give in to those thoughts of hopelessness because as long as you're breathing, there's always hope. Amen.